You're listening to Sweet Talk, all things maple. Hello, welcome back to Sweet Talk. This is your host, Adam Wild, recording from the Cornell University E-Line Maple Research Forest in Lake Placid, New York. Joining me from the Cornell University campus in Ithaca is my colleague and co-host, Aaron Whiteman. Hi, Aaron. Have you recovered from Maple Camp? Hi, Adam. It's great to be back in the studio, and yes, I've settled back into my normal life after an amazing week in Lake Placid. You know, this year I really enjoyed working with a wonderful group of beginning maple producers, and it was so nice to wake up every morning with views across the lake looking at the beautiful mountains. Yeah, it was a great Maple Camp and a great group of participants. For our listeners who are unfamiliar with Maple Camp, this is an intensive four-day training we offer every year that teaches everything you need to know to produce and sell maple syrup. Yeah, and one big benefit of Maple Camp is seeing and learning about all the powerful new technology that's available to sugar makers. I think everyone was excited to see your new six-post reverse osmosis unit. What a great machine. Yeah, having that new RO is a real game changer. You know, I can process 2,000 gallons of sap per hour and concentrate up to 25 bricks. And the real best part is that I can turn it on and off from my phone. That's the kind of technology that made the maple industry thrive. Yeah, and the pace of technological innovation has really picked up over the past two decades. So, today we're going to explore this topic by going straight to the source. That's right, Aaron. Today we'll be talking to Philippe Breton, who is the Corporate Relations Manager for LaPierre, a large maple equipment manufacturing company, but Philippe is also the chair of the recently formed Maple Industry Manufacturers Association. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting working group, and I'm excited to hear what they're working on. Let's have a listen. Today our guest is Philippe Breton. Philippe is the Corporate Relations Manager for LaPierre, a maple equipment manufacturing company, but is also the chair of the recently formed Maple Industry Manufacturers Association. Hello, Philippe. Welcome to Sweet Talk. Hello, Adam. Thank you for having me. First of all, I want to tell everybody that I'm um, not an English native. So if it sounds like I'm looking for my words, it's my French coming back. So yeah, please forgive me for that ahead. But thank you for having me today. That's great to have you. And that's fully understandable. We appreciate you taking the time and the effort to translate your, your thoughts and ideas in the maple industry into English for us to understand. You're doing a lot of great things up in Quebec there. So, you know, we've been chatting over the last couple of years about a, a new group that you've been working to create in Canada for maple equipment manufacturers. And I'll let you kind of say the official name of that group in the French version. Yeah, the official name of the is Association des Manufacturiers de l'Industrie de l'Érable which would be Maple Industry Manufacturer Association, uh, the exact translation. And it's not brand new because I've been working on it for a few years, but it's just been registered in Quebec earlier this year. Yeah, that's great. And so why did you kind of work to bring this group together? You know, what's the goal of this new association of maple manufacturer equipment companies? Well, I've been working with multiple groups in the maple industry for well, I'd say since 2015 or something like that, that's when I first started to work with the IMSI and the Acer Research Center in Quebec and all those different platforms, right? They try to bring everybody together. And at this point, there was already a lot of new technologies and new problems and new challenges coming in the maple industry. At that time, we were uh, with the IMSI working to bring out the new grading system, the international grading system 
And I think it was implemented around that, right? 2015, 16 or something. Mm-hmm. And it was really challenging to bring everybody together to have something on that. And so that was the first like, group challenge that I was able to see that there was a lot of contribution needed from every side to bring that together. And then the industry had different challenges that came afterward, right? California Prop 65 was one of those things that the problem was brought to the industry by the packers. And then it was directed towards producers that needed to replace some part of equipment and all, all of that. Yeah, that was the, the lead, right? The Prop 65 was yeah, there was a lead, lead potential and maple syrup from coming in yeah. through different equipment that people are processing their syrup with, correct? Yes. And the the manufacturers as, as a group, well, there was no group at that time, but we weren't part of those discussion in, in how that situation was going to get resolved and where all of that will be going. And at that time, I had a strong feeling that if the manufacturer would have been part of those discussion that took place between, you know, the the lawyers and the Packers Association and all, and all those individuals, you know, the, the information that there was no lead contaminant or no part, maybe there was some, uh, you know, gear pump that was still like in for sale for by different manufacturers but there was almost everything that was on sale at that point that was being manufactured was all stainless steel and that was all already been modified to have a better quality standard if the manufacturer would have been part of that discussion i feel like things would have went somewhere else that you know in quebec the producers association requested from everybody to have their equipment improve or replace if there was might be a risk of lead content in parts of those things and it created a lot of things but if i think that while negotiating that replacement of equipment the the part involved would have had the information that that problem was not relevant it was something of the past I think going forward with something that, okay, if you want to replace the equipment, you need to go towards something that's all stainless steel or something like that. Or if you want to sell something, you have to get it tested or to get it approved. It would have made less of a bubble in the maple industry. It would have been much easier for the producers to understand all of that. And much like you want to replace an old car right in California, you cannot just sell it. You have to run a pollution test on it if it's too old. So we say that, okay, it's not up to code, but it can be still good if you have it tested. We could have done that, but that's not what happened. So that was one of the challenges that if the manufacturer would have been together, would have been easy. And since they were not, somebody else, some other group had to pick up the ball and it was much more complicated. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So now that you've, you know, kind of have formed this group, what are some of the projects that you're currently working on or thinking about as a association of equipment manufacturers to kind of pull together and lobby behind? There was this two, the most recent challenges for the manufacturers. One was a year and a half ago, which was the cleaning water, you know, the water that still have some caustic agent inside of it that we use to clean the, the RO machines. Uh, so there was new regulation in Quebec and in some states about how to handle that to be released or treated and whatsoever. And once again, there was no system for the manufacturers to talk together 
be part of that regulation and say, okay, this is possible, this is not possible. And and so there was a lot of things in, inside of that, that that created a necessity for manufacturers to talk together. So how, how are we going to address that problem? And the biggest challenges that I was foreseeing for the manufacturers was the management of plastic waste for the maple industry. So that's that was one of the major thing that was used to pull together all the manufacturers because everybody was in the same boat and everybody knew that it is not and it was not something that anybody can handle by himself. So there was a need for the manufacturers to get together to build a system in order to collect those plastic waste in order to treat those things, to bring it to recycling facility, to do something with that. And so that was truly impossible without having a group to work with. And that's one of the major things that brought everybody together. Okay, so that we're going to work towards that. And you've had some success with that. You've been able to create a program for recycling of that plastic tubing. Turns out it's much more complicated than, than you would think it is right? <laughs> to have something like that. You know, there's around 8,000 different maple businesses, maple farms in, in, in Quebec. All of those businesses being as far away from each other as you can think of. So it's much more complicated to put in place a plan where people can bring their tubing back somewhere so it can be collected and bring at the same location to be recycled. Uh, so it's something that we've been working towards for the last, I'd say, six to seven months. We are almost done with a complete program for that, where there'll be uh, just around 60 different drop locations in Quebec for maple producers to go and bring their plastic waste so they can be collected and bring to one of the two locations that exist at the moment in Quebec that can recycle those plastic tubings. So it's very limited right now. And much of the limitation comes from the fact that the resources are not pulled together inside of that. So there was not a lot of plastic to be treated. I'm pretty sure you know about it. You know, maple producers, they would just leave it in the forests or without having anything else to do with it, they would just put it like in small heels of plastic close to the sugar house until they have like a solution for that. And that's one of the problems that I wanted to address because all that plastic is, all that volume, if it was put together, uh, would probably justify more investment in facility and recycling facility and recycling uh, technology and, and, and all those different projects that you need more plastic in order to build the project. I don't know how can I, I don't know how to express it, but um, yeah, if you can basically, you know, the recycling, the people who are actually doing the recycling and using that recycled plastic aren't aware maybe of how much maple tubing is out there that could be recycled because it's just kind of stockpiled in the people's sugar house or in their forest. They don't, they're not kind of aware of it, right? One of the challenges we have here in the U.S. and trying to get any programs going is separating the different types of plastic. So the programs that you are initiating, do they have to, you know, so if you have a main line that has all your tea fittings or spouts that are all different types of plastics, do you have to separate those or can those all be mixed together? Yeah, that's one of the main challenge because, you know, for tubing itself, there's 
only two different, or well, mainly two different type of plastic where polyethylene for the main lines, would it be like medium density or low density or high density, but it's the same, you know, family. And then is, uh, I don't know if it's the right English term for it, but be metallocene that is used for the lateral lines that is more, you know, elastic and transparent for the lateral lines. So those are the two main category of plastic. And then if you include all, you know, fittings and spouts and all of that, then it multiplies pretty fast, depending on the company, depending on if it's a seasonal spout, if it's a five-year spout, if it's a, if it's a fitting. And then all of that needs to be sorted out. Right now, the partners that we work with will cut the spouts and, um, and the fitting from lateral lines. The main thing the producers would have to do is to remove wire and metal fitting from the main lines. That's pretty much it. Okay. So it's a, it's it's still not perfect, but it's it's better than have to sort everything out before you send it over. Yeah. So the maple producer doesn't actually have to do the separating of the plastics. It's just getting the metal out of it. Yeah. Well, they have to do some of it so they can send the main lines apart from the lateral lines. That makes things easier, but that's pretty much it. Until we have a surplus or maybe too much plastic coming in and that the facilities that we work with cannot do the sorting, it's possible that at some point we reach that breaking point, right? That's uh, At the moment, we know that the recycling, there was already like some systems in place. They're just not connected to one another. And those systems, they, they were uh, collecting around 500 tons of maple plastic waste a year. Uh, but we know as an industry that we released around 2,500 to 3,000 tons of plastic a year as an industry. Hmm. Uh, only in Quebec, those, those are Quebec's number. But we know that there's at least three quarter of it, or maybe two thirds that that is not accounted for, that we don't know where it is. So maybe it went to, I don't know, to to waste directly. Maybe it's still in the sugar houses. Uh, there, there's a fairly large amount of it that we don't exactly know the location. That's part of the challenge, I guess. Yeah. And Canada's implemented a release in Quebec, a kind of tubing recycling tax, right? So when you buy a new roll of tubing, there's kind of a tax that helps pay for those recycling programs? Yeah. In Quebec, it's called um, REP, which is Responsabilité Élargie des Producteurs, which I think the translation for it would be like emitter enlarged responsibility that directs the responsibility for collecting that plastic waste into not for the whole recycling part of it, but at least the collection of it and the collection system it directs that towards the emitter of the plastic. And it says that you need to put in place a program to do that. And you're allowed to collect funds on the product to pay for that system. Typically, it was asked for that cost to be integrated into the price. So uh, typically what you know was asked of us was to raise our prices so that we can fund the system. And after a lot of discussion with with our partners here, we choose otherwise and to separate the price so that it shows so that you know exactly what is the cost of recycling your piping when you buy it. 
But along with that, it comes with uh, you're forbidden to charge any additional costs whatsoever for for the producers that will bring back his tubings. So when the producer himself will bring his tubing back to a collect point or to a recycling facility, it must be free for him to do so. Um, but let's say it generates $500,000 a year. That amount is used this year to collect and recycle tubing, not for the tubing itself when you will bring it back in 15 years. Yeah, so we're not keeping money for 15 years. That makes sense. Yeah, so if you're, if you're replacing tubing in your woods, you know, you're obviously not recycling that brand new tubing right away. You're going to rip out your old tubing. Yeah. Replace that tubing and that old that fee that you paid for that new tubing will be used for helping to recycle or collect that old tubing you're removing from your Yeah, and, and it was part of the challenge because that regulation that was put in place is um, typically it, it's directed towards single use plastic, you know, like uh, yogurt cups and those and plastic plates and those kind of things, right? And the maple industry plastic is one of the first products to be included in such a regulation that have a single use because you put it in place and at some point you need to remove it. So it's single use, but you use it for 15 years, right? Uh, so it's single use, but the use has a pretty decent longevity. You know, if, if it's put in place for one time, but it, that one time lasts 15 years, it's, it's better than, you know, three months for a yogurt. So it's something different. But on the other end, uh, what we talked about with all different manufacturers, it's a good thing for the maple industry, because if we compare ourselves with other industries that have the same challenge right now, what we can say is that the plastic that we will collect today was probably sold 15 to 20 years ago. So it's a very rare thing, I guess, to be able to go back in time to manage those wastes, you know, typically they were going to landfills. Some plastic that have been sent out to waste fill for the last 15 years now have that kind of program put in place, but those programs would only catch what's being sold today. What's great for the maple industry is that we can go back in time 15 years to collect that plastic, which is very good. Yeah, that's great. Is that that fee that's being applied to you know selling that roll of tubing is that charged to you know producers? So if I'm buying tubing from Lapierre in the United States, am I being charged that fee or any of those costs? No, right now it's it's only in Quebec because that's where the regulation has been put in place. I know that there's some talk about putting in place the same type of regulation in both New Brunswick and Ontario. I don't know how that would be possible in the States. I don't, I don't see it. I don't foresee it for many years to come, but it's, it's the equivalent of a tax, right? And you, you cannot just decide to put in place a tax on something. So it has to be asked for by the government. So it's, it's only in Quebec and that money is used only in Quebec. And if at some point we need to put in place a, a second system for New Brunswick, a second system for Vermont or Maine or Ontario, then we'll need to have that program built specifically for a state or a province and then know exactly how much that program costs. And that would be the amount that will be implemented on the tubing sales. 
but we're far from that at the moment. Thinking kind of along the lines of, you know, plastic, you know, obviously, as we're talking, the maple industry, you know, uses a lot of plastic from all the tubing or even just bottles, you know, and just thinking about spouts too, you know, in the US, we're typically replacing our spouts each year to really achieve higher production. So we look at current statistic numbers for the number of taps in the US, you know, we're probably throwing away at least 14 million maple spouts each season, you know, plastic maple spouts. So, you know, as a group, are you thinking about ways to try to reduce some of that plastic waste? Yeah, there's a there's a necessity uh, to reduce that. But on the other end, it's we're still making a food product, right? So all the tubings, all the spouts and everything has to be manufactured from new plastic. So there can't be any recycled percentage of plastic that's included inside of that. So that's not about to be a solution for anybody. Going from a seasonal spout to something that lasts a couple of years is doable. I know that there's a gain in production and it's it's really important for the producers. So they, they have a gain while replacing spouts by a seasonal one. And so there's a, there's a balance to be found between what we accept as an industry and what we can do with it. But I think that building a system that collects and that treats the plastic and that gives it value afterward, it's much more important than reducing the plastic at this point, because we tend to think that it's a, it's a lot. But as an industry, if we compare our, ourselves to other industry, it's it's not so much. And the spout themselves, if, I, if I, that's any encouragement uh, for the farmers, the spout themselves, they represent less than 5% of plastic waste for the maple industry. So it's a, it's a very small amount if you compare it to what's released in tubings and mainlines and whatsoever. Yeah, that's a neat statistic to know that, you know, 5% within the spouts. So thinking about the group a little more, the, the Association for the Maple Industry Manufacturers, are you working on creating kind of standards for equipment specifications that are put out there? So for example, like thinking about an RO, if you know somebody says an RO can do 2,000 gallons of sap an hour or 1,000 gallons of sap an hour, you know, but what are those parameters based on and different companies can base that on different amounts because it depends on, you know, the temperature of the sap, how high are you concentrating that to? So are you working as a group to try to create some standards for kind of what the specs that are put out there and what maybe an RO or a evaporator can perform? There was a lot of talk about those things, but it's not really what the group uh, want to work toward. There were some things in what you, you said that are relevant. There was some talks about uh, building some standard of measurement that say, okay, if we give the performances of an evaporator, how is it calculated, what type of wood and how the tests are run and those kind of things. There was talk about putting those things in place. But, you know, as far as tendered for the maple industry, it's not really what we want to talk about. You know, it's all private businesses and they do all their things. As far as the RO goes, you know, we, we know that there is problems with membranes. Uh, I don't know if it's the right words that you use because it's, you know, the membranes that are used in the RO machines. 
there's different data around those. There's uh, membranes that would keep more of the mineral content. Some of it would lose more of the mineral content. Obviously, we don't want anything that loses sugar, but there was a lot of discussion about, okay, should we put our head together to say what's acceptable in terms of membrane unit? Uh, and so if that's not up at least to this standard, it, it should not be sold in the maple industry, but it's not really what the group is working towards right now. You know, we, we don't work and put in red tapes for people. It's not what we want to do. We want to work towards having collective system that helps the group, not putting red tapes so that new companies can't enter the industry, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. So is the association, you know, or, or individual companies, you know, such as, you know, yourself with LaPierre kind of working on or thinking about, you know, ways that we can further reduce the carbon footprint of the maple industry? Right now is it, you know, it's a, it's a, in the group, we have like a, multiple views on that carbon emission for the maple industry, because, you know, much of the companies, if you take CDL, Lapierre, uh, DNG, and those businesses are kind of old, right? If you think, I think CDL is the youngest one, it's around 35 years or something like that. And if you look at it, when we were in the early stage of manufacturing RO machines for the maple industry, farmers were burning one gallon of oil per gallon of syrup, right? And it was something that was terrible as a carbon footprint. And then as the gears passed right now with the machines that are being manufactured, we can easily reach a concentration level of 16 to 20 bricks without much effort. So that reduced already 85% of the oil consumption of the industry. So there was a lot of work that has been done. And I think that the reduction of it is, I know it's important and it's something that people work towards, but much of the gain that were achievable has already been done for the maple industry. I think the maple industry has done much more for its energy consumption than many other industries. And, and, and we see it. I mean, I mean, only a lot here, it was, I could find the numbers, but it's uh, only with the oral machines that we sold since we sell those machines. It was calculated that it's something like two millions and a half gallon of oil that it isn't burned in the maple industry because of those oral machines. So there's a lot of work that has been done and... So it's, I think it's an honorable way of going with that, but there's, there's more talk into acknowledging the benefits of the maple industry in terms of maintaining forests and holding carbon instead of reducing what we already emit, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, looking at promoting what we, we do well, that we're reducing energy through ROs and more efficient equipment. And that these forests are growing and actively sequestering carbon and managing our forests to do that, right? Yeah, because if you look at it from, you know, um, a simple calculation, you know that if you take the growth rate, if you have a wood-powered evaporator, well, that's the Lapierre's vision. It's not necessarily what other manufacturer thinks, but if you have a high-performance wood-powered evaporator right now and you RO over 16 bricks, 
whatever you have to harvest and burn in wood every year to make your maple syrup production is under 30% of what your forest growth is. So you, you are already under what you are sequestrating every year because you maintain a maple forest. Uh, and those are the things that it's not the way carbon footprint is being calculated for agriculture in general, because people tend to cut down plants instead of maintaining it. So it's it's particular to the maple industry, but if that could be recognized as being a gain for the producers, because that's not part of the calculation right now, it's the biggest gain that we can do is to have somebody acknowledging the fact that we're not cutting down forests and that what we do is maintaining a forest while giving it a growth rate that is superior to what it would be if the forest wasn't managed as a maple farm. Yeah, that, that's great. You know, a lot of the industry, you know, in the past has really been focused around boiling sap into syrup, you know, and all the equipment we've been talking about, mostly when we're thinking about you know, evaporators and even ROs is really focusing on that, making a final product of syrup. You know, so how is the industry looking to innovate for maybe non-syrup products? So thinking about bottling the sap that we harvest or even maybe concentrating that sap and selling it as a, a sweetener that's not boiled down. So maybe it doesn't have the traditional maple flavor, but it's a less energy intensive way to make a sweetener that's used in large scale food manufacturing. That's not your refined sugars or your high fructose corn syrup, you know, so in the equipment manufacturers, do you think that is there a discussion or talk about ways to think beyond just using an evaporator, but to create kind of a high concentration sweetener? Yeah, and there, there's, uh, there was some projects and with different partners and by different companies that uh, are aimed towards doing some something like that. I know that we work a lot in the uh, ultra filtration and having like a sterile 25 to 30 bricks uh, sap concentrate that could be used in juices production and all of that. So there was some work being done on that and that was done with different partners in Quebec. But turns out, you know, implementing those technologies and getting sap that hasn't been pasteurized, you know, not cooked down to keep for a, a long period of time to make it sterile so you can keep it, that it doesn't turn into something you don't want to eat, is much more complicated than we think it is. And if you don't do it the proper way, it's not sterile, and then you have to keep it refrigerated. And we can't say that will save energy, right? So that was uh, some work that was done and in the end, it was put aside by the partners we were working with because of the cost, the prohibitive cost from juicers and food manufacturer to use such a product. On the other end, I know that CDL has released a machine that is, it's called, I think it's called the Master E, which is doing, I think they called it the Nectar. And it's a, it's a concentrated maple sap that is boiled under vacuum so it makes an on caramelized type of syrup if i if i can put it that way so there's there's work that is being done in that direction but at the same time you know there's a reason why uh, the industry was got directed towards syrup is that it's a it's a simple way to manufacture a final product it's less expensive than to make powdered 
product. It's a good way of conservation. You know, it's a, the concentration of sugar is a conservation practice. Uh, so, so it's a, it, it will be very hard to have a way of manufacturing a maple product that is cheaper than making syrup. And as far as those technologies I was talking about for pre-syrup product, uh, it's both technologies that are more expensive than your typical evaporator and auto machines. So I don't know if it will have some kind of viability or if at some point those technology will have profitability in the system. I don't know if it's possible at this point. How much testing and research and development do typical maple equipment manufacturing companies perform each year? You know, Do you have your own sugar house to test ROs and different evaporators and a sugar bush to you know, implement different types of tubing and trying everything out? Yeah, uh, that's uh, uh, that's a good question. That's exactly how I got into the maple business at first. When I was getting out of business school, I was hired by Lapierre to manage the R&D part of Lapierre Maple Farm. At Lapierre, we have uh, 185,000 taps, which is just under 2,000 acre, I think, of land. And we use those maple farms to test either tubing, spouts, evaporator, our own machines, and all the different technologies. So that's one part where we do our run tests. And afterward, most of the tests are done with farmers that are different partners where uh, they, they got the equipment before they're really, they're officially released. And then we can do the final tweakings of those machines and then release them on the market. I know that the different other manufacturers have the same kind of testing facility and it, it makes for a very slow process of building uh, new technologies. You know, you have two months and a half or maybe three months of testing every year. and That's pretty much it. So it's very intensive when that time comes. And after that, you work towards next year and then you try something else. Yeah, it takes some time, right? You can't just keep testing. You got to wait till the next season, right? Yeah, well, there's, there's different things that you can test. There's, there's different machines, but the, uh, everything that's related to production itself, you know, you want to know how the evaporator is performing. You can run tests with sugar water or different things, but you don't have the contaminants. You don't have the pressure. You don't have the right temperature at the entry. You don't have the same, you know, variables. So you still need to do tests over the season. What are some of the kind of current challenges for maple equipment manufacturers? I think right now, most of the challenges that is being faced by every manufacturer is we kind of reached a point where most of the gains have already been done. You know, as I was saying that once you remove 90% of the water or 95% of the water before boiling your sap, you already like cut down your cost a lot. And, you know, maybe it was the cost of boiling was $4 per gallon and now you're down to 15 cents or something like that. So if you, if you want to cut that in half, it's going to cost you a lot of money and you're not going to save a lot because most of the gain have already been done. So now the gain that you can do is having automation and monitoring and, and, and those kind of things that will help you 
to be more efficient in your work, more than a gain of energy consumption and efficiency or whatsoever. It's mostly about your time and the way you can manage your equipment. And those technologies, they do cost a lot to work on. And turns out the maple industry is it's great. You know, it's it, it has been growing a lot in the last 15 years. But in the end, it's not it's not the largest around, right? So there's a, a limited amount of clients that will implement those technologies. And and in the end, you know, even those technologies, they would be interesting for larger producers that don't account for a high percentage of the maple farms that are around. So the, I think the biggest challenge right now is to try to work on technologies that would help the smaller and average size producers and to make those technologies affordable because it's it's well, I think it's a challenge of many industry right now is that everything got really expensive in the last three, four years. And same thing can be said for R&D. And so there's solutions, there's technologies, but then the cost of those technologies are really prohibitive for smaller producers and the average size sugar house. So I think that's that will be the, the major challenge for the manufacturers right now is to try to do something better that is not going to be more expensive than what it was. I, I think that's great. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was kind of one of my questions I actually had for you. You know, it is expensive to get started in Maple, right? And, you know, as you mentioned, even the last few years has even gone up more. You know, and I think anybody that's in the Maple industry, you know, understands it's expensive to get started in, you know, or it's a really expensive hobby for some of us. And I know the University of Vermont a few years ago, folks there calculated, you know, at least probably 50 US dollars per tap to get started in a commercial maple operation. And that's with a lot of taps, you know, having, you know, at least 5,000 taps or so. And sometimes at that less taps, it's even more expensive per tap. And so I'm glad to hear that you are, you know, acknowledging that and trying to think about ways, you know, we can add all this technology, we can add in all this monitoring and equipment that can potentially improve production or improve efficiency but it definitely just adds more costs in the grand scheme of things. So being able to kind of justify whether it's worth it or not for all that input cost, you know, so are you thinking about ways to even try to make it cheaper for equipment? Are there ways to make equipment cheaper at all? Yeah, that's pretty much it, right? It's trying to work in a way that sugaring keeps being interesting from a, a, an economical point of view. But you don't spend so much money that there's no way you'll get any profitability in your operation. I think, though, that beside of that, I know that the last few years have been more challenging on that than I think any point since the company started because the, the price increase in the raw materials and mortars and circuit boards and electric panels and those kind of things, it really went through the roof, you know, there was increases in those things, levels that had never been seen before. So that's being transferred into the, the final price of the equipment. And it really creates a prohibitive factor for people that want to get into the maple industry. And, and it's even for the farmers that are already into production, I think it creates an additional pressure. In 2021, there was a release where you know how the quota system works in Quebec for uh, maple production. 
there was a release of 7 million new taps in 2021 by the Federation in Quebec here. And not all of those things that have been given have been installed. And we also know that there's another several million taps that is supposed to be given away at the end of the year or maybe early, like in January 2024. But one thing that we can say is that we don't see the same enthusiast towards those new taps that we were seeing in 2021. Cost of the machines went up quite a lot. Well, really depending, but as you know, there's things that have doubled in price, you know, since 2019. And you can top on that the cost of financing that has, you know, more than tripled in the last year, not even the last three years, like only in the last year. So that's a lot of pressure for the producers. So we have to deal with that. And obviously we need to make a profit ourselves. You need to, to have your business running. So it's, it's very challenging, really, at this point to know what's going to happen with that. But I think that if, if it stays that way, I think we'll see more maybe consolidation and have, I don't know, one evaporator for two farms, uh, you know, that kind of things. I know there is boiling centers in both in the U.S. and in Quebec where producer will bring their sap to be processed and turned into syrup and then take back the syrup of them. I do believe we we will have to see more of that for the operation to keep a certain level of profitability. But I guess we'll see what the future brings, right? It all depends on how we can handle the technology. If we can keep the prices low enough so that small producers can keep on growing. And truth be said, a lot of that thing is out of the control of any manufacturers right now mostly price of parts and stainless steel and, and and all of that that's that's the biggest challenge so far yeah all the raw materials right you can't be giving away equipment and then you know do you think can the price of syrup go up in order for a company you know for a producer to actually afford new equipment and to actually pay for equipment or get started into an industry you know if the syrup prices are low you know you can't afford that new equipment right yeah but you know i think it's a uh, it's a thing, right? Maple syrup is already one of the most expensive sugar you can get your hands on. So that's uh, that's already challenging. And I went through a study that was done by the Packer Association here in Quebec about the elasticity of the price in the maple syrup industry. And, and basically, the study that was, I think it was made by Nielsen, but I don't have it with me. The conclusion of that was that there's very little elasticity of price in the maple syrup. It's so expensive that as soon as you increase the price of that, you are uh, almost 100% certain that the sales will go down. So, so, so that's a problem, right? There, there was um, a slight price increase in Quebec this year. And, well, call it economic, call it uh, backslash. I don't know. I know that right now the the export of maple syrup from Canada have been down, I think, 25% for Japan, 20-something percent in Europe, and about this 15 to 20% down for United States. So it's uh, is that because of the price increase? Is that because people have a harder time getting around the inflation? Well, maybe it's multiple things that have that effect. But right now we know that the price got slightly increased and that what we are seeing right now is quite a big drop in sales 
So yeah, it's much more complicated, you know, than that. I think that producer will have to find new ways to to turn in a profit. I know that um, doing more retail and doing all those kind of things instead of doing bulk is a good way for maple producers to get more profits out of their operation. Could that be the entire solution? I don't think so. But there's something that needs to be worked on. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, that's understandable. I think that's great. And I, I really appreciate all this information from an equipment manufacturer company that, you know, is selling into the US. What are some of the challenges with that of working with kind of creating a company and moving stuff across the border and everything? I can't talk for for every manufacturers, but the way we work at Lapierre, you know, it's that it's not that we don't have like Lapierre's stores, right? What we have is dealers. So what we have is people that have their own businesses that resell equipment that we sell to them. Taking our business into the U.S. is we work with, you know, resellers and they do their own business. So that's a a different model than what other people might be using. So it's not that much of a challenge so we can we export our thing through uh, Lapia USA and then all that goes to the different agents after that so that's not like a so much of a, an issue and you know doing business and uh, you know from Canada in the US or from the US into Canada has always been quite simple from what I remember at least what I know much easier than to do business in Asia or to do business in Europe or whatsoever. Uh, so I don't foresee so many challenges over that. The biggest challenge that we see with that is to have different regulation, but it's not it's not too challenging in a sense that there was only one manufacturer in the US that was of substantial size business that was leader evaporator that you definitely know. That was acquired by H2O Innovation at the end of last year. So right now, if you take H2O, CDL, Lapierre, DSD, uh, Damien and Grimm, and it, so it's all Quebec-based company. So everybody deals with the same issue and the same regulation, and we start from the right, the same place. And so it, it really limits the amount of challenge that we are seeing doing international business, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. Well, Philippe, it's been great to have you on Sweet Talk. Thanks for taking the time and thanks for all the great work you were doing for the maple industry. Well, thank you for having me. I hope that uh, what I said was uh, clear enough and decent enough English so that everybody can understand what I what I said. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again. I think your, uh, your English is better than you think. So it was great. So thank <laughs> great. You. Thank you. Well, Aaron, it's really interesting to hear what Philippe and the other equipment manufacturers up in Quebec are really working on and thinking about for the maple industry. You know, and the innovation that has happened in the maple industry over the last several decades has really driven the industry forward. Yeah, I think that's something for especially us producers in the United States to appreciate is that this massive growth in Quebec has really added a lot of resources into the equipment innovation space and we're really benefiting from that with all these more advanced reverse osmosis units and now the electric evaporators and all kinds of new technology that makes us more productive 
And we wouldn't have that innovation if there wasn't this large scale industry happening just to our north. And, you know, hand in hand, that new equipment has allowed the industry to continue to move forward, right? Big innovations that really improved that efficiency and gave us those big gains in productivity. But that's also helped reduce our carbon footprint, right? Yeah, fortunately, the things that make us more efficient, like reverse osmosis, namely, also reduce our carbon footprint. So it feels like a lot of that work for addressing climate issues has been done. But there's still more work to do, including the plastic issue that Philippe mentioned and further reducing our carbon footprint. Yeah, and those are really big projects that we really need to, as an industry, you know, in the Manufacturers Association, but also Producers Associations to kind of come together and really work on in the future. I think that's going to be an important step to take. Yeah, it really feels like this is one of those issues where we need to band together and work collectively toward a common solution. Yeah, and we've seen these big innovations over the years, but kind of moving forward, do you think we'll continue to see these next large phases of innovation in the maple industry, or will they be more smaller incremental gains? Yeah, as Philippe alluded to in his interview, it seems like we've plateaued a little bit. We're still making gains in productivity, but we've solved a lot of the big technical challenges, and now we're looking at more nuanced solutions, things like monitoring systems that help us tweak our our systems and keep them performing well. So maybe we won't have those giant gains in productivity like we have in the past, but I sense that we'll still keep moving forward and making incremental gains. Yeah, I think you're right. But I really appreciated that Philippe brought up their understanding the high cost, right? So getting started in Maple is really expensive. And so that they're thinking about that, you know, but that's something as an industry, I think we need to think about at large as well, right? Yeah, as we innovate with these new solutions like monitoring systems, I think it's incumbent upon both manufacturers and researchers like us and even maple producers to kind of figure out how to use them best and make them work in a way that returns a profit on our investment in that technology. Yeah, there's definitely a balance there that, you know, we could get all these fancy bells and whistles, but we got to make sure that those are also paying for themselves. We can't just be dumping a lot of money into new technology if it's not helping our production or efficiency. But, you know, when it comes to efficiency, that is really important because, you know, when it comes to maple operations, a lot of times our biggest cost is labor. So if we can reduce that, that can be helpful. Yeah, that's true. And also with these new technologies, fortunately, those are things that we can study and really evaluate their cost effectiveness, you know, monitoring systems and things like that. Those are things where we can do comparative studies. So that's a a role for researchers like us to go out there and do that work and then report back to maple producers. So that's that's fodder for future episodes of Sweet Talk, all things maple. Yeah, there's plenty more for us to keep working on and keep talking about on Sweet Talk. So join us again next time on Sweet Talk, all things maple. Thank you for joining us for Sweet Talk, all things maple with Aaron and Adam. Sweet Talk is produced by the Cornell Maple Program and is made possible with funding from the USDA Agricultural Marketing Service. All music is obtained from Blue Dot Sessions. For more information on all things maple, visit cornellmaple.com. Join us next time for more Maple Sweet Talk. Have a sweet day.